You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. All right, well, thanks for having me here this morning. It is a privilege being able to be here to share this morning, and I do mean that. It's a privilege even if it's a bit terrifying. (laughs) Um, Pastor Trev, as he already alluded to, has asked me to preach twice, and only twice, thankfully for my sake and for yours. Uh, But each time it's really reinforced in my mind what a labor of love this is, presenting the Word of God to his people. This church is certainly fortunate to have Pastor Trev as well as others who really put in the blood sweat and tears needed to present the Word of God honestly each week. But don't take that for granted. It is far more rare than you think, and even so, no matter who is speaking, we always need to test what is said against the Word of God. So if you don't have a Bible here this morning, feel free to put up your hand, and one of our ushers will bring one to you. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, please take this as our gift to you. Before we open our Bibles, though, I'll share with you a story. Uh, Not too long ago, I was speaking with my grandfather. He's now 93 years old. He may actually be the man I look up to the most. Even now, at his ripe age, he regularly goes to old folks' homes to preach a sermon or sing hymns as a way to minister and encourage. He doesn't just care for people who are like him or his age, either. Last time... He and I were visiting. He asked me how he can disciple young men at his church. That's crazy. As we were chatting, it made me think, what was life growing up for him? So I started to ask, you know, where did he live and what did life look like? I found out that he and his siblings grew up in a one-room hut with a little lean-to attached to the back. It's uh, in the middle of the prairies of Saskatchewan, a simple sheet divided the lean-to on the back where his parents slept from the rest of the hut where the kids slept. A small wood stove did double duty as both the kitchen oven and keeping the house warm. But on the cold winter nights, it wouldn't actually keep it warm all the way through the winter. To get wood for that wood stove, they would travel miles in a horse-drawn wagon, and they would chop the wood by hand. Uh, if they were lucky, if they were lucky, a nearby farmer would bring by a horse-drawn saw that would aid them cutting the logs into pieces that would actually fit into the stove. His obvious contentment and satisfaction in this context really struck me. I think from the outside, it's easy for me to romanticize how simple this life would be. But on the other hand, I like touching a button on the wall to heat up or cool down the house without having to travel miles for wood. When I do travel, I get into an air-conditioned car to drive on paved roads to campsites where I still have more luxuries on hand than he had in his home. Yeah, (laughs) and I kind of like being able to put the kids to bed, head downstairs, click on the lights, and spend some time chatting with my wife. His life and world even though it really wasn't that long ago, is very different than our world today. We have everything we could ever need and more, way more than my grandfather could have ever imagined, and yet we feel compelled to pretend our lives are better 
than they are. We present life to be somehow perfect through Instagram or TikTok filters, and yet behind the curated reels is a world more depressed, suicidal, and medicated than ever before. It is clear that despite our great riches and technological advancements, we are left unsatisfied. More and better hasn't solved this problem. The craving remains. Our world remains desperate for something more. And that is the problem that our passage today addresses. Isaiah 55 tells us how to live a satisfied life. So let's turn to Isaiah 55 and read together. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as, high as, the heaven, or, uh, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy, and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that we can meet here together today to be reminded of your compassion. We are grateful for a God who is so good and so awesome. As we look at this passage together, please remove any distractions and soften our hearts. May we sit under rather than over your word and have it mold our hearts. Convict us where we need to change. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we get into Isaiah 55, I think it's worth doing a quick review of the context of this chapter in Isaiah. The predominant image I have of Isaiah is that of prophetic judgment, and rightly so. The first 39 chapters deal largely with this judgment, and Isaiah, being inspired by God, often used the past tense to refer to this coming judgment. 
It was so sure, it was as if the judgment had already occurred, and that's why he uses past tense. Imagine, imagine being the people of Israel, reading or hearing Isaiah's words. Being, before being taken into captivity, the Israelites were surrounded by overpowering enemies and were told that they would surely be defeated. After being taken into captivity, these words reminded them that the Lord had judged just as he had promised. In either case, the outlook is gloomy to be sure. Mercifully, past chapter 39, the tone begins to shift from judgment to deliverance and salvation for the Israelites. Again, past tense is often used in this case to illustrate its surety. But even so, as the people would hear these words, they would either be surrounded by enemies or already taken into foreign lands as captives. It is to these overwhelmed and surrounded people that Isaiah 55 was written. And counterintuitively, it showed the Israelites then and us now how to live the satisfied life. Four key points for living the satisfied life. In verse 1 and 2, we see that the first requirement for living a satisfied life is you must admit you are craving. Admit you are craving. To translate the Krishnis for a moment, when this passage is talking about hunger and thirst, it's not merely talking in the, in the physical sense, it's actually referring to a deeper, more foundational craving. And when I was considering this point, an Amazon Prime TV show called Alone came to mind. I've got to say, it's an absolutely fantastic show, and I won't get into all the details of how it works, other than to say you have to survive by yourself, alone, for as long as you can in an often harsh landscape. Making a decent shelter is actually pretty easy. Finding enough food to eat is the hard part. Much of the show is devoted to each contestant attempting to satisfy their desire for food. Oftentimes, all they might have to eat is berries or some roots with the occasional squirrel or fish mixed in. Many contestants are actually pulled from the contest for losing too much weight, some as much as 30 or 40% of their starting weight. And if you avoid starving the longest, you win 500,000 US dollars. Now that's 680,741 Canadian dollars, <laughs> or approximately 50 bucks after tax. <laughs> In any case, there was one contestant who shot and killed a moose with his bow and arrow. I thought, you know, this show's over. This guy's got all this moose meat. How can anyone compete with that? But to my great surprise, with each passing week, this guy was eating loads of moose, but still losing weight. And not just a little bit. After each week, he was looking more and more like a skeleton than a man. It turned out that while the moose had tons of protein, there was not enough calories in the meat to keep his body satisfied. You know, there are many in this room who are filling their proverbial stomach with food, but starving to death. You may crave the approval of friends and colleagues, or Instagram likes, or porn or drugs. So you eat and you eat until the pain is numb, only finding that the cravings remain and your brokenness is increased. You might think, you're more put together than that. 
I'm a Christian. I don't crave these addictive or destructive things. This doesn't really apply to me. Well, here's a reminder. This passage was written to God's people, his chosen people, the Israelites. Do you really think that we are so different than they were? You might think that you're desiring all the right things, but in reality, the things you crave will also not satisfy. Are you so sure that you haven't placed your hope in a good job with a healthy income, your health, your family, or your social standing? You will never ask God for anything else if only you and your husband can have a child. You just need a few more dollars. You just need a boyfriend, you know, who's ideally a bit taller, uh, is kind, and actually has a job. You know, small things. Or maybe you think that the last thing that you'll ever need is a home that has enough space so that when the kids are screaming for the third time today, you don't lose your mind. And you eat and you eat. Things that you think will satisfy. You eat and you eat. You fill your stomach. And yet you're craving more. God asks you in verse 2, why? Why do you keep doing this? Why do you labor on and on for the desires of your broken heart? It won't satisfy. Much like the moose meat, they will fill your stomach, but ultimately leave you starving. Do you see that? There is a deeper yearning built into the human soul. Nothing created will placate that deep hunger or thirst. You are craving for something greater. So what do we do? The satisfied life requires that we hear the hope. Hear the hope. Look at the language in the first five verses. Over and over again, he calls for everyone who thirsts to come and to listen to him. No person will be rejected. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come, buy and eat. God continues saying, listen diligently to me. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. God says, I am the one that parches the thirsty soul. I am the rich food for those who are starving. I am the one who fills your deepest craving. So listen diligently to me. Diligently. And I know that's a word that we're all likely familiar with, but I thought I'd use a good old dictionary as a refresher. To be diligent is to be disciplined in a sustained and persistent way. So does that characterize your spiritual life? Are you persistent in prayer? Consistent in reading the Bible? Do you devote as much time to these things as you do your YouTube feed? Because this matters. Here we have the source of satisfaction, the one who will gratify our deepest craving, the one that really matters. And yet we are too distracted by our broken desires. If you were asked to put away your distractions for five minutes and pray, could you? Just five minutes. Have you ever tried this on your drive home from work or drive home from the grocery store? 
I challenge you to do that every day this next week and just see how it goes. In the same way, how is your Bible reading going? That Bible app on your phone works great, right? There's never any distractions from Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Spending time listening to him is critical. We've got to put away all these diversions and listen diligently to him. And check this out. It continues, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and and what I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Here is one of the many prophecies in Isaiah of Jesus, of the Messiah who would come, the seed of David who would glorify his people and be a witness to all peoples. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says that if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, consistent from beginning to end. God says if you come to him, your thirst will be so satisfied that living water will flow out of you. And how much does it cost? Look back at verse 1. It's without price. It's free. This is hope. So to to live the satisfied life, you must admit your craving and you must hear the hope. Well, is that it then? You know, we just listen to God and we hear what he has to say and then boom, everything's perfect? No. When we recognize that we're craving something more and we hear the hope that he offers, we have a choice to make. We have the choice to embrace his salvation. Embrace his salvation. Verse 7 shows us what this looks like. We are to turn away from and abandon our wicked ways and our unrighteous thoughts and turn to the Lord. The New Testament parlance for this is repentance. Turning away from your sin and turning to God. So let's have a reality check here. Have you abandoned all your wicked ways and all your unrighteous thoughts? Or do you say to yourself, you know, I'm going to have a good time out with the boys, but I'll also go to church. I'm, you know, going to watch that latest trash reality TV show, but I'll also read my Bible three times a week. I'm addicted to porn, but I'll also attend small group or young adults Bible study. I'll share the latest gospel with my friends, but only so we can pray for them. I'm, you know, justified in coveting my neighbor's stuff because I work just as hard as he does and I just can't seem to get ahead. Listen, God hates that. He hates it. He wants obedience, not sacrifice. Be careful that you are not the Laodicean lukewarm Christian or he may spit you out of his mouth. Jesus said, be perfect as God is perfect. We in the church have got to stop this one foot in, one foot out nonsense. 
Stop flirting with the world. We must abandon all, all our wicked ways and all our unrighteous thoughts. And yes, we all fail. God knows I have over and over again. But we don't camp there. We cry out to him for forgiveness just as the first day we ask for him to save us. We turn away from our sin and we return to God. And what will he do? He will have compassion. He will have compassion and will abundantly pardon. But, you may ask, how, how is that just? How can God pardon sin? Does he just forget? No. Praise God, he is just. He will punish all sin, period. But if we flip back to Isaiah 53, we can see how God can pardon our sins justly. Many of you may know this by heart, but we'll read it anyways, because it's just so good. Uh, starting from verse 3, Isaiah prophesies about Jesus, saying, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isn't that incredible. Talk about abundant pardon and compassion. God's own son crushed for our iniquities to bring us peace with God. How can we not turn from our wicked ways? How can we not turn from our righteous thoughts? How can we not embrace his salvation? How? Well, knowing our weaknesses and our twisted hearts, God addresses two key reactions we have to his offer of salvation. The first response is to dismiss his offer. You might think that, you know, the whole Bible just isn't true. I challenge you, in this case, to read Isaiah. Read the many prophecies in Isaiah. Each and every one has been fulfilled perfectly. Perfectly. Others dismiss thinking they're good enough on their own and forget that we have all turned everyone to his own way. And there's another group who believes that the Bible is true, agrees that they are sinful, but won't accept his offer of salvation because it just seems too good. After all, how could I, like, how could I possibly deserve this salvation? It doesn't make sense. While it is true, we don't deserve it. But God, but God has offered it anyways. Because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Don't let your limited understanding of who God is stop you from accepting his salvation. A second common response to his offer of salvation is to delay I have time. 
You know, I'm only 12 or 30 or 50, 55. I will do my own thing for a while longer and find my own satisfaction, thank you very much. This Jesus stuff is merely fire insurance to save me from hell only. Until then, no thanks. Two quick points on that. Firstly, friendly reminder that you are eating food that won't satisfy, while Christ offers us that which truly satisfies. He says in John 10.10 that he provides abundant life. So don't delay thinking that what you crave will somehow satisfy you more than what he provides. And secondly, in case it isn't already obvious, you have no idea what tomorrow will bring. No idea. We are merely a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Even if God is gracious enough to grant you a long life, he does not guarantee you limitless time to come to him. So, verse 6, seek, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. And one of my favorite verses, Hebrews 3, 7, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. Do not delay. Do not dismiss. To live the satisfied life, you need to admit you are craving, hear his hope, and embrace his salvation. And finally, to live the satisfied life, we need to rejoice in his promises. We must rejoice in his promises because they are sure and they are good. You know, the world makes promises all the time. The car advertisement promises happiness. Your boyfriend always promises to love you. The promotion promises fulfillment. The vacation promises rest. I can call my wife promising her I'll be home in time for supper, and within five minutes, I've already broken my promise, despite my best efforts. But God's promises are different. They're different than every worldly promise. Why? Because you can actually count on them. When God says something will happen, they will happen. Isaiah 55 says his promises are as sure as the laws of nature. So we can rejoice in his promises because they are sure, and we can rejoice in his promises because they are good. I need you to bring your mind back to the context of Isaiah 55 for a second. The Israelite reader would be either surrounded by overwhelming enemies or already taken into exile in enemy lands. And it is in that oppressive situation that God provides two promises. He promises he will be their satisfaction even in the midst of their suffering and in his good time he would bring the Israelites out of exile and joy and lead them forth in peace. Look, many of the Israelites would have never you know, seen that day. It would have seemed impossible that God could have rectified such a hopeless circumstance. Yet we now know that this good promise was also fulfilled. In the same way, you may feel oppressed on every front. Your work may feel overwhelming or perhaps there's ongoing conflict or enmity within your family. You may feel like you're in a hostile culture who hates God and all who follow him. The truth is God does not promise an easy life. Far from it. But even when the world is caving down all around us. We can rejoice in his promises. And what does he promise? 
He promises we will find satisfaction in him in every circumstance. He promises in Romans 8.28 that he will use every situation, every little thing for our good so that we would be conformed to his image. And let's not kid ourselves. Life can be really hard. I have an uncle and aunt who faithfully serve the Lord as missionaries in Quebec. Less than a month ago, he was coming home from a day trip fishing when he crashed his motorcycle. He was found unconscious on the side of the road and taken to the hospital in an ambulance. Thankfully, he slowly recovered, but unfortunately, he fractured his vertebrae and is now a paraplegic. Yesterday, not yet able to leave the hospital, he joined a Zoom call to watch his daughter walk down the aisle to be married. I couldn't hold myself together as I watched. I just couldn't. But here was my uncle, smiling and full of joy. And what did they sing during the service? They sang, in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. We can have joy through tears because of the promises of God. And, and he promises that one day he will wipe away every tear and make the whole world new again. Look at the imagery of the last two verses. The fallen creation is restored and made perfect. It's the same promise that John wrote of in Revelation 21, 1 to 6. Now I'm going to turn there, and if you can turn there with me, Revelation 21, 1 to 6. I'll give you a second. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he was seated on the, seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write these things down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty. <laughs> to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. How awesome is that? From beginning to end of the Bible, all inspired and knit together by God. Every promise is true. We can rejoice in his promises, we can live the satisfied life 
by rejoicing in his promises. I thought I'd make a little bit of a side note here. Um, Your demeanor, your demeanor sets the tone for your household or workplace in a really critical way. We know from this book that you can live with joy and peace in spite of your circumstances when you find your satisfaction in him. Because God sits on his throne. All things are subject to him. He holds the world in the palm of his hand. But if we are constantly demoralized and defeatist about the world, we are in effect denying the very truth of God's promises by our very actions. And you can say all you want to your kids or the other people you rub shoulders with, but your attitude and demeanor will communicate what you really believe. So what do you really believe? I challenge you, know the promises of God and rejoice in them. All right, to live the satisfied life, you must admit your craving, hear the hope, embrace his salvation, and rejoice in his promises. Friends, it's good, it's good to look at this passage together. And I pray that the Holy Spirit has made clear to you what you need to hear today. I'll leave you with a few last questions to consider. Are you filling your stomach and yet starving? What is it that your eyes are consumed with? What is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning and what's the last thing you do when you go to bed at night? What do you crave when you've had a rough day or week or month? Admit you're craving something more. Are you diligent in prayer? Are you persistent in reading the word? If you're asked to pray for five minutes right now, could you? Have you looked to Jesus who, despite being God incarnate, often woke up early in the morning or stayed up late at night to spend time with his father? Have you inclined your ear to hear his hope? Have you dismissed his offer of abundant pardon because you just think it's too good? Or are you delaying because you think you've got more time? Listen, we are a mist, and he is so much more compassionate than we can even imagine. Embrace his salvation. And do you actually believe his promises? Are you discouraged when you are persecuted? Do you worry about the future? What about my job? What about my kids? When you see that rainbow flag, do you rejoice? Or you despair? And folks, look, I'm... I'm looking in the mirror. I'm looking in the mirror. But his promises are true. His promises are good. We can rejoice in his promises. Let's pray. Lord, if we're honest, our hearts and desires are so crooked. We run to created things for fulfillment and are left empty every single time. Thank you for reminding us that there is hope in you that you promised that your son would come, and he did. Please forgive us when we look to other things for satisfaction rather than you. Thank you for your wonderful promises. May we cling to them in good and bad days. May our joy in hard times be a witness to those who are lost and starving around us. Help us to admit we are craving. Hear the hope. Embrace your salvation and rejoice in your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.